0: podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, our heavenly Father, so thankful for the good news of Jesus' resurrection. We're grateful that it's a signpost that points into a day when one day that, that power of new creation will make all things new. And we pray that today the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words to be written, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead would be alive and well in this place today. Would he be able to minister the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to our hearts in such a way that it would change the very core of our identity, the very core of how we live? So Lord, would you, would you minister to us today so that we too would be sent as emissaries of the resurrection? We pray this in Jesus's mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can have your seat today. In the first century, there were actually several men who claimed to be the Messiah in Judea. There were several people that claimed that they could bring about the kingdom of God, that they could end the oppression of God's people. Several people that even attracted quite a bit of a following. And one by one, each of these men were eventually murdered by the Roman Empire. Their kingdoms were short lived. Many of their names were forgotten in the pages of history, except for a few that maybe a few academic theologians know about. That is except for one major exception. That is, of course, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. See, Jesus Christ did something entirely different. He was able to somehow launch a movement that truly did span the globe. Jesus Christ was able to accomplish something that actually changes the way that we now measure history and tell time. He was able to split history itself into two pieces. Only Jesus at this exact moment is being worshiped on every continent by people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that is because he is risen. Jesus did die on a cross, that's true. But what's unique about Jesus is he did not stay dead. In fact, you can still go to Jerusalem and visit a tomb and it is still very much empty. And that truth of Jesus' resurrection is really foundational to the Christian gospel. In fact, some theologians have called the doctrine of the resurrection the linchpin of the Christian gospel. What that means is that without the resurrection, the cross of Jesus would have meant nothing. But because of the resurrection, the cross of Jesus means everything. Matthew, the man who is writing these words, the the author of the first gospel, was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. And he is telling this story of the most important event in the world, and today we're going to look into his words, and we're going to explore four major implications that flow from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first of those is because he is risen, God has conquered death. On Friday, Jesus died a humiliating death on a cross. It wasn't just a death. It was a death by torture. It was a death that was intentionally designed to create as much shame and indignation as humans can possibly conjure. His body was then taken down from the cross. It was wrapped in linen. It was laid inside of a tomb, and that tomb was sealed with a very heavy stone. And there, in the grave, the body of Jesus lay all of Saturday. And at this point in the story, this point of the narrative, it is a sad story, but it is a very normal story. I mean, lots of people died because of the Roman Empire. And at this point, it just looks like Jesus is one of those normal, sad souls that has met their end because of this very mighty, this very powerful empire. Then Sunday comes... Two of Jesus' followers, two women, come to visit the tomb. They come to mourn, and suddenly our story isn't normal anymore. An angel descends like a lightning strike. The earth quakes, the stone is rolled away, and the guards decide that their job doesn't pay enough. The imagery is brief, but it is saying something rather profound and rather ironic. The guards who are supposed to be guarding a dead man now become themselves like dead men, verse 4 tells us. The ones who are supposed to represent the power of man's empire are overwhelmed by the power of the kingdom of God. The supernatural invades the natural. Heaven invades earth. I remember as a teenager becoming very cynical toward religion. I grew up in a Christian home, and I I did go to church. However, there was a point in my life where I rejected what I thought Christianity was. Essentially, I couldn't understand how there could be so much pain, how there could be so much suffering in this world, and for there to be a good God that is behind it all. It didn't make sense to me. Even more, I just began to think that Christianity was one of many world philosophies, one of many world religions wherein man is giving a set of instructions, some good advice, some good tips of what we can do to make ourselves better, what we can do to be able to work ourselves to God, to be able to achieve union with God or ultimate reality or whatever you might want to be able to call it. I knew that there was something there. I knew that we were estranged from it. I knew that all the world religions were trying hard to be able to basically put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Something changed one day. I had a group of friends that really introduced me into reading the Bible and and began to make me doubt my doubts. Because of them, I I began to be curious about the Word of God again, and I began to read the Bible. I started with the Psalms and found beauty in the pages of the Psalms, the honesty, the the, the great doubt, the great pain, the great joy. But eventually someone said, if you really want to know what Christianity is all about, you need to go to the book of Romans. Romans. You need to read what the Apostle Paul has to say about this gospel. And it was in that moment that suddenly my very normal story changed because my story was normal. There's a lot of people my age that grew up as Christians. They grew up around the church and for whatever reason, they began to kind of romanticize doubt. They began to consider themselves super enlightened and very critical of religion and all things concerning God. But in that moment, my normal story became not normal anymore. As I was reading the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit of God illuminated my heart to where I could see the unique and precious beauty of Jesus Christ. I could see that Christianity wasn't just one of the many world religions that were about working themselves to God. It wasn't about what I could do to get to God. It was a good news. It was an announcement of what God has done to come to us. That the God that this gospel reveals sent his son to not be immune to our pain and suffering, but to endure it, to enter into brokenness, to enter into our pain so that he might overcome it. That the God that we worship actually understands death and has yet given us hope that it can be overcome through him. you see, that set the Christian gospel apart. Religion may be about what you can do to get to God, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is about what God has done to come to you. And you know what's true about this gospel is that it's so good that you can't earn it. You cannot possibly deserve it. You can only respond to it by believing, by trusting. What Jesus has done is enough. It leads us to point number two: that because He is risen, Jesus is Lord. The angel speaks to the women, and they are filled with terror, understandably so. They see an angel, and he's telling them things that they did not think were possible. He tells them that this Jesus who was crucified is no longer in the tomb. The king has left the building. The angel tells them to go and to look in and see for themselves, and sure enough, they look into the tomb. The tomb is empty. The angel tells them to go back into the city to tell the disciples what they have seen, what they have heard. And as they are on the road, I imagine that their hearts are pounding with adrenaline. Soon they encounter something, or rather someone, that makes their hearts stop. They encounter the resurrected Jesus himself. This Jesus, who they likely saw with their own eyes, die and expire, humiliated on a Roman cross, is now standing before them, very much alive. They respond the only way they possibly can. They fall down before his feet, and they worship him. And that's actually a very common response when you look at Scripture and how humans tend to interact when suddenly something very supernatural is before them. Paul and Barnabas perform miracles in the region of Asia Minor, and the local villagers see these divine things happening, and they fall down before Paul and Barnabas and begin to worship them as gods. Even John, as he is seeing the visions of revelation, as the angel is showing him things that are going to come to pass, he is overwhelmed by the sense of the angel's heavenly glory and he falls down before him and begins to worship him. And in all of those cases, the apostles and the angels say, stop. Don't worship us. We are creatures. Your worship is only due to the creator. But That is not what happens in Matthew chapter 28. The reason why is because Jesus is not an apostle. He is not an angel. The resurrection has revealed that Jesus belongs to an entirely different category. Jesus Christ is Lord and God. See, people in the ancient world oftentimes misunderstood Jesus. They put him in the wrong category. They they tend to associate the wrong conception. A lot of times they, they tended to impose on him who they would like him to be. So for that reason, some people in Jesus' lifetime thought that he was a prophet, kind of like an Old Testament prophet, like Moses or Samuel or Elijah or Elisha. Some thought that he was a political revolutionary, that this would be the king that would lead God's people out of oppression from the Roman Empire and that he would restore the kingdom of Israel and make it great yet again. But we do the same thing, don't we? A lot of times, instead of worshiping Jesus for who he has revealed himself to be, we worship a version of Jesus that meets our preferences. A lot of times we will assign to Jesus our agenda. We'll say, well, he must be a promoter of my agenda. A lot of times we'll make Jesus into a political mascot that supports our vision of what the kingdom of God should be. We want Jesus to bring about our kingdom on earth as it is in our version of heaven. A lot of times we might just say, well, Jesus really wasn't God. He was just a a moral philosopher. We should put him in the same category as Confucius or Plato or some other very wise human teacher. But the resurrection changes all of that. If the resurrection did not happen, there's no reason to worry about obeying Jesus' teachings or his commands or the things that he would require of his followers. Without the resurrection, God's words can be inspirational. They can be thought-provoking, but they are not binding in any sense. We can take what we want and leave what we want. His commands can be bent and broken. If there's something that offends us or our cultural sensibilities, we can reject it and we can lay it aside. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, we cannot do that anymore. The only response to Jesus is, is the response that these women give, and that is unconditional surrender, unconditional worship and humility. So today, I know I'm speaking to an audience of people primarily who are from the Bible Belt, people who grew up in the Bible Belt, and there is a casualty of that upbringing. It means that it is possible for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be considered something that is very common, very second nature. And because it's common, we have the opportunity to be indifferent towards Jesus, can allow Jesus to be an optional category of our lives or a side hobby or interest. But I want to plead with you today as we look into this text to not let Jesus become a hobby, to not let Jesus be an interest. He must be our Lord and God. He is the resurrected Lord. As C.S. Lewis so greatly put it, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the very foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Point number three. Because he is risen, the church has a mission. It's interesting that after the resurrection, both the angel and the Lord himself immediately give to the women a task. They are given a mission. Imperative verbs are used, go and tell. It's also interesting that many scholars of the Bible have noticed how odd it is that women would be the first to receive this message and announce this message. Many commentators have noticed the significance that Of all people, women were chosen by God for this honor. Now, that might not be a big deal to us. However, in the ancient world, particularly in the Roman Empire, women were not highly viewed. It really is the influence of Christianity that changed that. In this day and age, women were so poorly viewed that their testimony was not as miscible in the court of law. And so, if you were going to make up a religion... Some people claim that the disciples did. If you're going to steal Jesus' body, put it somewhere else, and then just make up this religion that you're going to then die for, this is not how you would do it. You would not fabricate that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. But this is exactly how God does things. He doesn't choose the powerful or the elite to be the stewards of his message. He chooses humble women, ignorant, fishermen, To be the vessels that will transmit the greatest news in the world into the nations. It's extraordinary. He chose the unworthy, the unlovable, and the unlikely. And you know what? He still does. He still chooses the unlikely and the unworthy. And he binds them together in this very unlikely community of people composed of different races and cultural backgrounds and languages and socioeconomic strata and professions There is a name for that group of people. There's a name for that that group of people of the unlikely and the unworthy bound together for the mission of God and that name is the church of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in the resurrection of Jesus, you've not only been invited to receive the gift of salvation, you've been invited to receive the gift of a family. A family that shares in a mission together. You are a part of the body of Jesus Christ the body of Christ, filled with the spirit of Christ, called and commissioned to continue the mission of Jesus Christ. We are called to be emissaries, to declare this gospel and to display it with our lives. As it turns out, I think this is exactly what the world needs. The world needs to see a community live out the hope of the resurrection. What better answer to a global pandemic than a truly global hope. What better answer to all the racial division that ravages our society than a group of people bound together, people of different skin colors, people of different languages, different cultures, bound together, worshiping the same Lord. What better news for a nation that is so unbelievably divided by political extremism to come together and to worship Jesus, not as our president, but as a king, The king that is above all kings. The king that's not just the rightful king of this nation, but all nations. The king we will worship for eternity. The world needs to see that type of church. So if you're not a part of a local church, I invite you to consider becoming a part of ours. Join in the mission. Be a part of what God is doing in this world. that leads us to the fourth and final point. Because he is risen you and I can know the hope of resurrection too these words were written by a man named Matthew Matthew was once a notorious sinner and a tax collector a man who was vilified by his own community because the way he was complicit with the way that the Roman Empire was oppressing his own people But he meets Jesus Jesus calls him Jesus changes his life Jesus changes his story Matthew is writing these words as a sinner turned apostle, as a tax collector turned evangelist, the author of the first gospel, to invite us into that same story too. Saying everything that Jesus has done, his death, his resurrection, you can be invited into that as well. See, when this message was first publicly preached in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it demanded a response. The crowds said, Well, then what must we do to be saved? And the answer that was given to them is you must repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Today, I want to extend that same invitation to you as well. I want to extend to you the invitation to repent. And I know that's a really religious-sounding word, but all repent means is that we are to see our sin, the things that we chase, the things that our hearts desire out of selfishness and greed, and ambition, and lust, and we're to turn away from that sin and turn to a God who is infinitely better. Turning towards a God that will actually give us the joy that our hearts crave, the rest that our souls need to turn to that God, to believe in the truth of His resurrection, and to allow that resurrection to be emanated from our lives. And we are to be baptized. Baptism is simply a sacrament. It's this visible display of of an inward spiritual reality. It's a moment where believing Christians are immersed into water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritually charged moment. It is very powerful. And it is a representation of our union with Christ Jesus. It's an event that tells and retells the story of the gospel. That when Jesus died through baptism, we died with him. And when Jesus rose again through baptism, we get to inherit that new life. Here's how the Apostle Paul explains it. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you have never been baptized, today we want to extend that opportunity to you. Today is an appropriate moment for such a thing. We love baptizing people on Easter because it's a visible representation of the very truth we are celebrating on this holy day. So I encourage you, don't waste this moment. Don't waste this opportunity. And you might say, well, I did bring my Easter clothes. Don't worry, we thought of that. We have baptism clothes in the back and places for you to be able to change. And we would love to be able to celebrate that with you today. God is a God who is still changing lives. We were able to baptize people in previous services that got saved during this last year. A year where we were meeting social distance and with masks and many weeks in a row, online only. The Spirit of God is continuing to move nonetheless. The Spirit of God is unstoppable. Those might have been barriers for us that wasn't barriers for God. He is still in the business of making dead things live again. So I encourage you to respond to that. And for those that are believers in this place, allow the hope of Jesus Christ's resurrection to resonate in your heart today. I know many people in this room have suffered great loss this year. I know many people have been broken by the pain and sadness of this world. The resurrection is a reminder to our hearts that there is a day coming when all things will be made new. That he will wipe away every tear. That death itself will die. Let that be comfort to your heart today. Let it be joy to your soul. So today, Redeemer Christian Church, on this Easter Sunday, let us worship a God who has conquered death. Let us acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory. Let us respond to the Holy Spirit who has given us a mission and who has given us an eternal hope. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son died for our sins and rose for our salvation. Oh Lord, help us to know this truth, not just with our minds, but with our hearts. Help us to live in light of Jesus' new life. Let us rejoice with true spiritual joy that Christ is risen. We pray these things in the mighty name of our resurrected Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.